Hi guys, welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode seven. So this last week, um, I joined a different dating app. Um, This time around, I pulled out the big guns and I joined Match because I felt like if I'm going to do this, then it's time to get really serious and commit to it. I got off of Hinge. I felt like I had sort of exhausted all of my choices there and it was starting to get like more frustrating than than fun. So I got off of Hinge um, and I, uh, you know, went went and joined Match. Um, This is my first time on this dating app, but uh, I bought into the hype that it's the number one destination for online dating and that it has the most relationship success over other dating apps. I mean, at least that's what they say in their commercials. So it it must be true, right? Um, Things are progressing slowly. Um, It's only been a few days, but... um, I've had like a a few likes on my profile and like a couple of uh, texting conversations within the app, but nothing, nothing serious. Uh, The choice between Match and eHarmony, I mean, they're, they're kind of similar. They're, they're both like the heavy hitters in the the dating app world. Um, Like if Plenty of Fish and Tinder at one end, then match and e-harmony are at the other and it, it seems like their members are more serious about getting into a relationship or you know at least looking for something more long term um i chose match over e-harmony because i remembered that back in 2013 when i first was on the dating apps i joined e-harmony and um after spending like two hours doing their like profile personality quiz or whatever, after I did all of that, they said they had no matches for me. Like in their entire database of eligible men, according to my profile, they had no matches for me. So I decided to spare myself that humiliation uh, for a second time. And I went with match instead. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Um, hopefully by the next episode, I'll have something or someone to tell you about. But uh, if, if it doesn't work, then in about six months, I can join our time, which is the 50 plus dating app. So there's something to look forward to. Um, Oh, also, I think last episode, I had told you guys, uh, there was a place I was scheduled to go see that I was, you know, looking forward to I had kind of high hopes for. Well, I did go and see it. And it was great. It it lived up to all of my hopes. Um, It was three bedroom, two bath town home, a little bit further away from work, but that's okay because it had everything else on my list. Um, It had a great backyard with like a fenced in area for Gracie. And then there was like a deck that looked out over the water. I mean, it was beautiful. It also had a screened in porch. So great. But unfortunately, someone who had viewed it before me had already put in an application and they were approved. So I didn't get it. Um, I told you guys it's first come first serve here. So uh, that was a little disappointing, but um, 
The other one that I had scheduled for this past week, I drove past it before the viewing and uh, it I could tell from the outside and from the neighborhood that it was not someplace that I wanted to live. So I canceled that one. Um, I don't think... I don't think I have anything scheduled for this week yet. Um, I'm still looking, you know, I'm still like requesting viewings, but I don't, I don't think I have anything scheduled yet. But uh, I, I'm just trying, you know, to be patient and not, I'm not panicking. I still have time. You know, it's funny because it seems like whenever I'm trying to rush something through or push something through, God always slows me down. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to slow down. I'm not going to panic. I'm just going to leave it in his hands and remind myself that it is in his time, not mine. And and really, there really is no reason to panic. I mean, if worse comes to worse, I can always go month to month when my, when my lease expires. It's not like I'm going to be homeless if I can't find a place to live by the middle of November. So, you know. Oh, what's that you say? What have I been watching? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I actually just finished up a series that uh, it took me like two months to get through. And and that's, it's not because it's not good. It, it is good, but it's kind of dense and a little dark. And my brain would need time to process after each episode. It, it's Perry Mason. That's, that's what I've been watching. But literally, it took me like two months. If you're a murderino like me, you will love it. Um, but I just, I couldn't binge it. And that's like unheard of for me. If if something, you know, that's only eight or 10 episodes is, is taking me that long to watch, it usually means that I don't really like it and I'm kind of just forcing myself to get through it. But that wasn't the case. I mean, I, I really liked it, but like something would happen to my brain, like, almost like it was go on overload. And if I tried to watch more than one episode at a time, I would fall asleep. So I wasted a lot of time like rewatching episodes. Um, but don't, you know, don't let that deter you. It is really good. It's just, that's just how my brain operates. Um, and the other one, and I, I can't believe that I didn't mention this one before, maybe because I haven't, it's been a few months since I've watched it, but it's kind of what got me making this podcast. It's called Love Life, um, has Anna Kendrick, it's on HBO Max. Um, and it's like the story of her love life over a 10 year period. And it's really good. It's, it's sweet. And it's funny. And it's a little heartbreaking, because, you know, like she has her ups and downs, and she makes mistakes. And, you know, not every guy she chose was the greatest. But um, it was during one of the episodes that something happened, and it kind of spurred me to dig out my diary. Guys, I have been keeping the same diary for 10 years, like, like, literally the same book. Um, I started it back when my ex-husband and I split for the second time in 2010. And I tend to only write in it when, when things are bad. Um, not all of it is, is bad, but you know, there are some entries that are like good things, like moments that I want to remember. But the majority of it is, you know, sad, you know, or just 
it's not good times in my life. Um, but when I was rereading it, there was so much I had forgotten, like some really dark times and some ugly arguments with my ex-husband that I, I, I guess I had completely blocked. I, I remembered it as I was rereading it, but rereading it was painful. And not only because, you know, it brought back the memories, but I started to see a pattern of a lot of wishes and very little action. And that's kind of what spurred me to start the podcast because I just figured I had nothing to lose, you know, and it was time to stop dreaming of someday and just do it. So if you have HBO Max, it's called Love Life. Um, Check it out. I think you'll like it. I mean, and and who doesn't love Anna Kendrick? I mean, she's adorable. She's she's a national treasure. She's America's sweetheart. I I think you'll like it. Um, The last one that I wanted to mention, and it's only because I I just watched it in the last few days, and it was the... um, It's the virtual table read of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I'm sure you've heard of it or seen it. It's been all over social media, mostly because of um, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. You know, they were fine, but they were kind of like the least of it for me. Um, Julia Roberts was in it. She plays Stacy, and she was a delight. She was really fun to watch. And I I don't usually like her, but I loved her in this. Um, They didn't do the entire movie. They took like select scenes and and just did like the you know the virtual table read it's a good cast it's it's all like a plus hollywood and you know jimmy kimmel randomly but the reason i am mentioning it isn't because it's good it it's okay you know um if julia roberts was like the shining end of the spectrum then shia labeouf as Jeff Spicoli was at the complete other end. I I don't know if he was doing like method acting. I mean, he was like just full on smoking a joint during the entire thing. But it wasn't funny. I mean, it wasn't even interesting, you know? Like Sean Penn Spicoli, he was at least likable, you know, he was like a lovable loser. But Shia LaBeouf was just sad. The more I watched it, the more uncomfortable I got. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. It was, it was painful, you know, and it got to the point where I was like, am I watching somebody acting? Or am I witnessing someone having like a complete mental breakdown. It it was very uncomfortable. So two good recommendations. One, not good. But I mean, if you want to watch a train wreck, then I suppose you could watch the table read of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. So all right, let's get into this week's topic. This week, I thought I would tell you about my dad. September 21st, 
marked nine years since he died. I remember when he called me to tell me that the cancer was back for a third time. And of course, I started to cry, and Dad tried to comfort me. And I said, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm just scared. And Dad said, well, how do you think I feel? <laughs> and, I, and he laughed, and I laughed, and it was just on to the next subject. My dad was a complicated man, as everyone is. You know, your, your child is not going to know the same version of you that your best friend or your spouse does. It doesn't mean you're a different person. It's just that the dynamic is different. My dad wasn't just my dad. He has three other daughters. He was a husband, a son, an uncle, and a grandfather, and they all have their own version of him. Today, I just want to talk to you about how I saw him, how I see him. I loved my dad. I still do. He drank too much and he suffered from depression. Two things I didn't understand as a child and didn't understand that those two things were intertwined until I was well into adulthood. He broke promises, a lot of promises, which taught me at a very young age to never take a person at their word, to only trust their actions. Dad had a quick temper and he yelled a lot. And his often over-the-top reactions led to arguments and sometimes job losses. His birthday, Father's Day, they were difficult because no card quite seemed to fit. I had gotten into the habit of sending him two cards, one serious and one funny. And mom told me that he used to look forward to both cards if he, if he knew they were from me. But the serious ones, man, they were a challenge. You know, my dad was far from perfect. He, so any card that said, you know, like, you were always dependable, uh, you were always there for me, you were always someone I could be proud of, they just didn't quite ring true. But sometimes a parent can teach you how not to be, and there's value in that lesson too. I I read somewhere that you marry your unfinished business, and I definitely did that. Um, in fact, I'm I'm just starting to understand that I have been seeking in partners faults that I wasn't able to fix in my dad, but. Being aware of a pattern and stopping it are two different things. I, I hope that I'm at least halfway to breaking that pattern. But even with all of that, he was still my dad and I wanted to be wherever he was and he took me all kinds of places. I think eventually he figured out that it was just easier to let me tag along than to try to fight me. Um, Looking back as an adult, I realize now that a lot of the places that he took me also happened to be places where he could drink. But uh, as a kid, I didn't care. I was with him, so I was happy. There was uh, a place called Andy's. There was a bar on Niagara Street, the west side of Buffalo. And Dad would take me there, and he would drink his beer and eat his clams, and I would be propped up next to him eating corn on the cob. I remember a couple of times he took us to a place called Dewey's Bar and Grill, 
on a Sunday where he would go to have a drink with his dad and he would put me and sister number three at a nearby table with a couple of root beers and a bag of chips. He also uh, tried to take sister number three and me fishing. He tried. We didn't do much fishing. We used to just get yelled at for playing with the minnows. Uh, He also tried to teach me how to swim. Um, Actually, now that I I think about it, I think every guy I've dated has also tried to teach me how to swim. None have been successful. I still can't swim. I'm not sure what the problem is. I I can float, but I I can't seem to get my body to go anywhere. I'm sort of at the whim of the wave, so that's dangerous. I, I think it's probably trust issues, to be honest, but I still can't swim. But dad used to take sister number three and me to this to this place called the baby hole. I mean, if you're not from Buffalo, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But it was this little beach in Fort Erie, Canada, and it was called the baby hole. And in the mid to late 70s, there was an oil crisis. So the cost of gas was high. And so if you lived close to the Canadian border, you would go into Canada to get your gas because not only was the gas cheaper, but you got this great um, exchange rate with the money. So dad would drive over to Canada and go to the gas station, you know, get into this long line of cars on the hottest of summer days. And the gas station just happened to be like across the street from the beach where you could just you could literally see it from the car. And, and sister number three and I would just be in the car, like sweating with our heads hanging out the window because there was no AC in the car and, and just begging dad to let us just go across the street to the beach. But of course, he would say no. And he would make us wait in the car until he got his gas. And then he would take us over to the beach. And, you know, we would jump out of the car and go running for the water. And dad would set up camp and grill hot dogs and drink beer. Dad loved to tell stories. I I call them stories because I'm pretty sure there were a lot of embellishments, you know, as all good stories have. I think I heard every, every single one of his stories at least twice. When he was young, he was he was kind of a hoodlum. I think he would tell you that. He, he would also tell you that he was a troublemaker with a big mouth and that it was a good thing that he could run fast. But one night, I guess he didn't run fast enough and he got arrested. I, I think he was trying to steal a car or break into a car. I don't know. And when he got in front of the judge, the judge gave him a choice between going to jail or joining the service. And thank God he chose the service because he got stationed in Panama and that's where he met my mom. And that too was kind of a chance meeting. Dad had actually been set up on a date with mom's cousin. But at the last minute, she wasn't able to make it. And so she sent my mom in her place. And the rest is history. Dad loved musicals and he loved Gene Kelly. And I think for a man of his generation, that probably wasn't, you know, something you admitted. But he used to love to watch musicals and we would watch them with him and we fell in love with them too. I mean, you guys know, I told you how happy Hamilton made me. That That's definitely dad's influence. He also had really great taste in music, which kind of ran the gamut from like Frank Sinatra and Mel Torme all the way to ABBA, which sounds odd, I know. 
I, I remember one time we were in the car, Dad and me, and a song came on the radio, and it was by Elvis, and Dad was singing along. And I told him that I liked the song, and Dad said, if you like that, you should hear the original. It's, it's even better. The song was Hound Dog, and the original is sung by Big Mama Thornton. And Dad was right. The original is better. Dad's musical taste strongly influenced mine. Uh, Big Mama Thornton led me to Joe Turner. Joe Turner led me to Jackie Wilson, which led me to Sam Cooke and 60s Motown, which then led me to 70s, 80s, and 90 R&B, which is still my favorite music. Dad loved to read, and he loved history and geography, and it seemed like there was almost nothing he didn't know. No one in our family could come close to him when it came to Trivial Pursuit. I mean, it, it got to the point where it wasn't even fun to play him because you were just vying for second place. But I used to be able to go to my dad with anything I didn't understand, you know, whether it was something from school or something I read or something I had seen on the news and just say like, Dad, I, I don't understand this. And he would sit down with me and we would talk about it and he would be able to explain it to me in a way that I could understand and it just seemed like there was nothing he didn't know you guys <laughs> I told you I was a handful as a kid I I was always getting into something or doing something that I shouldn't and dad found this hilarious I <laughs> I did something one time that was so bad, so embarrassing, and, and Dad found out because, of course, my parents always found out. I mean, I was always doing something I shouldn't be doing, but I wasn't good at it. But Dad found out, and he promised to keep it a secret. And as far as I know, he did. I don't think he ever told anyone. Dad used to say, well... She may not make the best choices, but at least we know she's not devious. <laughs> In other words, at least she's not so smart that she can cover her tracks. Dad and I used to take a lot of road trips to Rochester uh, to go visit his sister and my cousins. And I am so grateful for those trips because, A, I got my dad to myself during that drive. You know, we would talk about almost anything and we would listen to music and sing and B, if it wasn't for those trips, I'd be missing one third of my pajeta. And you guys know how much my pajeta means to me. But there are two specific memories I have from all of those trips. And the first one is we were driving and listening to the radio and that damn song, The Christmas Shoes, came on the radio. Do you guys remember this song? It was like a, a country song. I think it was from like the late 80s. And it was at a time when it seemed every country song was trying to see which one of them could make you cry the hardest. Yeah, it, it was one of those songs. I think it was about like a little boy buying shoes for his mom for Christmas. And she was like literally on her deathbed. Yeah. Anyway, that song came on and I started to cry, but I was embarrassed. So I was kind of trying to hide the fact that I was crying. And dad said, Never be ashamed of your tears. And when I turned and looked over at him, he was crying too. <laughs> Dad was a crier. He wasn't ashamed of his tears. I don't know why I was embarrassed to be crying in front of him. I mean, he used to cry in front of us every week while we watched Little House on the Prairie. And the second 
memory I have was uh, smoking my first cigarette in front of him. Now, Dad had known for a while that I smoked, and uh, I had admitted it to him, but he knew probably before I admitted it to him that I smoked because, like I said, I wasn't good at hiding things. And he didn't like it. He, he blamed himself. He was a smoker, too. But he had said to me that he couldn't tell me I couldn't smoke while he lit up a cigarette. So one day we were headed to Rochester and dad had picked me up for work and I hadn't had a cigarette in hours. So sitting in the car with him while he smoked wasn't helping and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So at one point I just sort of turned as far away from him as I could in the passenger seat and kind of slowly reached into my purse and pulled out a cigarette, lit it up and cracked the window. I smoked that cigarette and he never said a word. I mean, I, I thought for sure he was going to yell at me, and, you know, tell me, throw that out. You know, no, he never said anything. He was right. He couldn't tell me I couldn't smoke while he was smoking. My dad was passionate about current events and politics, and, and we didn't always see eye to eye, but man, we spent hours talking about these things. We had a lot of spirited conversations talking politics. I mean, spirited in volume and also spirited because we were probably both having a few beers at the time. And sometimes, just sometimes, I was able to bring him around to my way of thinking. But even if I couldn't, the conversations were never disrespectful and they always ended with love. And just that kind of feeling of, you know, man, that was a great night. That was a great conversation. We, we not only talked about politics, but my dad was curious about anything unknown. So we talked about UFOs, the supernatural, God, the afterlife. I mean, dad would have gone crazy uh, if he was still alive and had seen that Pentagon story. I mean, he might have been the only one, but he would have loved that. You know, sometimes I feel like... I, I, I'm kind of glad, and it, it almost it almost hurts to say this, but with, with everything that has happened in the world in the last nine years, I, I'm kind of glad he isn't around to see it. I I don't know how he would react to what our world has become. I I know he wouldn't like it, but I I'm kind of glad he doesn't have to live it. And. While he may not have been able to teach me to swim, and Dad, don't feel bad, nobody has been able to do it, he did teach me how to dance. Um, when I was about 10, my family and I went to uh, an Oktoberfest, and it, it seemed like it was in the middle of nowhere, but I, I think it was probably just one of the outer suburbs of Buffalo, and um, it was Oktoberfest, so of course, Dad started to drink, and Mom got fed up, so Mom ended up leaving early with my aunt and I begged to stay with dad and grandpa and dad said it was okay so mom let me stay and as it started to get dark a band started to play and dad dragged me up on that dance floor and taught me how to dance and we danced for what seemed like hours <laughs> yeah that was, that's a good memory and when we danced again at my wedding, 
the father-daughter dance to Daddy's Little Girl, of course. Dad was sort of singing along to the song, and, and he kind of suddenly like pulled back, and he looked at me and he said, Remember Oktoberfest? Guys, <laughs> I almost lost it right there on the dance floor. I, I, all I could do was hug him because I could see that he was starting to well up. And I, I, I cry easy enough as it is, but I am definitely a chain crier. Like I, I don't even have to know why you're crying. But if I see you welling up, I will cry with you because no one should have to cry alone. Dad also taught me how to drive. Um, he would drive us over to the cemetery and uh, because, you know, quote, you can't hurt anybody there, they're already dead, and just hand over the keys. And he would take me every week and for what seemed like forever, but it was probably only maybe a month or so, he wouldn't let me drive forward. He would only let me drive in reverse. And I had to use my mirrors. I couldn't turn around. To this day, I can park almost anything, almost anywhere. And that is the benefit of learning how to drive first in reverse and then forward. And he had a lot of confidence in me as a driver. I mean, he used to let me borrow his car pretty much any time I asked. And I went to him one day and I asked him if my girlfriend and I could borrow the car the following day because she needed to get to Niagara Falls. She had planned on buying her dad concert tickets for his birthday. My dad said yes. So the next day, uh, there we are in Niagara Falls, and we are lost. I mean, I had no idea where I was. She had no idea. And we are driving along, and I am approaching an intersection, and I look up in the lightest green, and I take my eyes off the signal, and I look over to see if I can find a street sign just so, you know, get some kind of orientation. And I look back just in time to see that I have now entered the intersection and the light is red. And I have no idea how long that light is red. And suddenly we are T-boned and my dad's car is totaled. I mean, thank God my girlfriend was okay. The other driver was okay. And, and I was okay. But the car was not. It, it was totaled. And my girlfriend had to call her dad to come and pick us up. And I can remember sitting in the back of her dad's car and just crying all the way home because I, I did not know how I was going to face my dad and tell him he didn't have a car anymore. I, I had no idea what his reaction was going to be. I mean, I, I assumed it was going to be a lot of yelling, but I, I didn't know. I mean, at one point, I was sitting in the back seat of that car crying so hard that my girlfriend's dad actually asked me if I wanted him to wait with me until my dad got home and he would tell my dad about the accident. And, and I, I said no. And, and I sent them on their way. And I just waited for my dad to get home. And when he did, I can remember standing in that kitchen just literally shaking as I told him about the accident and what had happened. And I was just sort of bracing myself against the onslaught of whatever was coming my way. And he just hugged me. And he said, Are you okay? Is your best friend okay? And I said, Yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we're bruised, but we're okay. And dad said, That's all that matters. Cars can be replaced, but you can't. You know, he was funny that way. Like, 
Just when you thought you knew exactly how he would react, he would do the opposite. A few days later, he went and picked up a brand new truck, which just happened to be his dream car, to replace the one that I had totaled. And he walked in the house, he came upstairs to my bedroom, handed me the keys and said, you ready, kid? (laughs) He knew that if I let too much time pass after the accident without driving, that I might not ever drive again. He wanted me to get over my fear, and I did. And to this day, I, I still love to drive. And man, did I love that truck. And so did he. Uh, in fact, I used to joke with him and say, if I hadn't totaled his car, he would never have that truck. So you're welcome. He, <laughs> he used to have a, a like a cap, I think it's called, over the bed of the truck. And he used to like keep stuff in there. And he would always say he knew when I had borrowed the truck, because all he had to do was like lift the hatch. <laughs> and he would see all his stuff was rearranged. <laughs> and I would say, don't worry, Dad, there's always two wheels on the ground at all times. And he would just laugh and shake his head. But he never told me I couldn't borrow the truck. Even after I had wrecked his first car, he still had enough confidence in me that he let me borrow that truck whenever I wanted. The only stipulation was I had to replace the gas that I used. My dad called me Jenny. Um, in fact, my my mom does, too, uh, and some other family members. But it has kind of been a name that has been reserved for only family. When I'm meeting anyone for the first time, I introduce myself as Jennifer. But eventually, most people end up calling me Jen. But my family, or a few members of my family, call me Jenny. And I used to get kind of possessive about it. Like if someone who wasn't related to me called me Jenny, my first internal reaction was always like, don't call me that. You don't know me. But since my dad died, if someone other than my family randomly calls me Jenny, it's kind of like a little message from my dad. You know, I don't get so offended from it. I actually like it. And even more rare... At 49 and a half, if someone calls me kid, oh, that's like an extra special message from dad. Every phone call, every voicemail, almost every conversation I ever had with my dad always ended the same way. And that was with dad saying, love you, kid. And I'd say, love you, dad. I miss him. I miss talking to him. I, I miss being able to tell him things. My dad was the only person who wouldn't let me get away with saying I'm fine when I wasn't. He had these gray eyes and when he looked at you, I I think this is why to this day I can't directly lie to, to someone's face. Now, as a child, I was a very prolific liar. I was what you would call a storyteller. But now, and even as a kid, if you looked directly at me and asked me a question, I, I am incapable of lying. And I blame a lot of that on my dad's piercing gray eyes. I, I, I would say I was fine and dad would look at me and kind of tilt his head and give me that piercing stare. And he'd say, I know you. What's wrong, Jenny? You can tell me. And everything that I had been holding inside and trying to hide from everyone, you know, that I I thought I was doing such a good job at hiding from everyone, would just come tumbling out. It's our conversations that I miss the most. 
The last time I saw my dad was a few months before he died. We all made a trip to Las Vegas and he wasn't doing well. I, Looking back, I see that now, but at the time, I guess I, I didn't want to see it. And of course, you know, while I was there, we talked a lot because that's kind of what we did. But one of the things I knew I was going to have to do when I was there was I was going to have to have a conversation with my dad about him not driving anymore. My mom had told me that his legs were getting weak and that he was not reacting as fast as he should be while he was driving. And I wasn't going to risk my parents getting into a car accident because I was too afraid to have a difficult conversation with my dad. And on the way to Las Vegas, I I prayed a lot. I was asking God not only for the opportunity to talk to my dad about it, but also when the opportunity came to give me the words and to open my dad's heart so he could understand why I had to say this to him and so that it didn't turn into an ugly argument. About... Um, Maybe three or four days after I got to Las Vegas, my aunt invited us all over for dinner, and my dad said he wanted to drive. And I thought, well, okay. And I asked my mom to sit in the back seat, thinking I could somehow do something from the passenger seat if I needed to. I, I don't know what, grab the wheel, I had no idea. But as we were driving, I noticed that not only were his legs not reacting as fast, but also his hands. He he seemed to be having a hard time gripping the wheel in the turns. And I didn't say anything, but I thought, mm, okay, well, at least now, when the time comes, I can say, I saw you drive and this is what I saw. So when we got to my aunt's, my mom got out of the car and dad asked me to, to hang back for a minute. And I did. And dad and I got out of the car and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he handed me the keys and he said, that was my last drive. Guys, I cannot tell you the amount of relief that flooded through me in that moment. I mean, not only did I not have to have an argument over it, but that he realized it and was kind enough and gracious enough to give me that, that that reassurance that I didn't have to worry about mom and dad because dad wasn't going to get them into an accident. And I, I took the keys and I said, yeah, dad, I, I think it was. And he said, this is hard. And I said, I know it's your independence. And he said, yes, I knew you would understand. And that was it. That moment that I had been dreading much like the car accident, that moment that I had been dreading so much, dad had the complete opposite reaction and made everything okay. I get signs and reminders of him a lot, usually in the form of songs randomly coming on the radio. On the night that dad died, um, I was over at my niece's house with sister number two and my niece and my nephew and we were just going through old pictures and telling stories and laughing, crying a little. Um, when I got in my car to head home, 
I started the car and for some reason the country music station was on. Now, I, I don't listen to country music, but dad did. Dad really liked it. And there was a song playing that I had never heard before. I know now um, that it's called uh, When I Get Where I'm Going. It's by Brad Paisley. But my first reaction, you know, listening to the song, I was like reaching for the radio, kind of like, what's this? Like, you know, getting ready to change a station. And I stopped. And I started to listen, you know, like to listen to the lyrics. And guys, if, if you're not familiar with that song, go check it out. And then maybe you'll understand that by the end of that song, I was a puddle. <laughs> but I knew that that was dad telling me that he was okay. That he got where he was going. And he was okay. Was my dad perfect? Absolutely not not even close but he was my dad and I loved him and he loved me guys thank you so much for letting me share some memories of my dad I mean he's been on my mind so much this week for for obvious reasons one thing I can tell you if he was still alive he would have loved this episode <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming back for episode seven. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. Send me your emails at my so-called life mid my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Post the podcast on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me when you do. And also just found out that the podcast is now also available on Google Podcasts, so that's cool. Okay, guys, until next time, thanks for listening. Love you. Bye.